you have your Bibles, would you open up to James chapter 1? You have an outline in your bulletin. I would encourage you to follow along with that and um, to take some notes this morning. We're launching a series in the book of James, and I'm well aware that many of us are very familiar with this book, and I'm hoping, and it's a challenge for me to be able to bring this to us week after week with freshness and with application. So that's my goal, and I want to start out with a quote for you by Mother Teresa, and I listen to this because I think this is fantastic. Here's what she says. By blood and origin, I am all Albanian. My citizenship is Indian. I am a Catholic nun. Here's the part I want you to hear. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. I belong to the whole world. Have you ever thought like that? Oftentimes we think the world belongs to us. She says, I belong to the whole world as to my heart. I belong entirely to Jesus. You know, as we work through James, it would be interesting to give you a proper introduction as we embark on a journey through this book. But doing so, and I'm convinced of this, giving an introduction to a book that you're about to start a series with, I'm convinced tends to strip that particular sermon and that particular scripture of its life-transforming power. For instance... You might want to know that James is the half-brother of Jesus who came to put his trust in Jesus after Jesus died and was rose again. Or you might be interested to know that this letter is considered the earliest written of all the New Testament books, probably before A.D. 49, and that James had become by that time the head of the entire Jerusalem church, the hub of Christianity. I mean, this is phenomenally interesting, I think. You may find it helpful to know that in this book of James, there are 54 imperatives, which simply are commands. In this well-written Greek text, most of the, the New Testament is not written in polished Greek. This is one of the best written Greek texts there is in the New Testament. I mean, I find that very interesting because 54 commands tells us a lot about the writer. The guy is a do this, do that, let's just get it done kind of guy. I like that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting background. We could fill sermons, probably several of them, with just the background information about this book. But what is potentially transformational about James is every single verse written in it. So if we take verse 1, which is commonly treated as the introduction, and we strip out the truth that there is transformational quality in verse 1, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. We can't skip the verse. So this text, this sermon today is verse 1. Now some of you are thinking, verse 1? What is in verse 1 worth talking about? Well, I consider that a challenge. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed. All is useful teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Now listen, so that the man of God, so that you and I in Christ may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So verse 1 of chapter 1 equips us to do his work. Here's verse 1. James 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Let me offer you four, I think, transformational truths that we can learn from this verse. Number one, leaders, leaders need a servant's heart. I hope you hear that. Leaders need a servant's heart. Here's what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how often do we receive letters in the mail and open them before looking at who sent them? Very rarely, I would imagine. James, it's James that wrote this. Ancient writers signed their names, by the way, at the beginning of their letters, while we usually sign them at the end. James was a blood brother of Jesus. He was a half-brother of Jesus. He was a younger brother of Jesus Christ. He was the pastor, as I said, of the Jerusalem church. Friends, the gospel exploded in Jerusalem and scattered. And at the hub of this was this church in Jerusalem, and James is its pastor. He was of immense importance. In fact, in, in just after the midpoint of the first century, James becomes the leader of the Council of Jerusalem. He's responsible with the council for doctrine, for theology, for where Paul was sent and what Paul was going to be teaching, among other missionaries. This is James. The guy is huge. Galatians 2.9, he's called a pillar by Paul, who we would think is the pillar. Paul calls him the pillar of the church, one of them. Yet James, with all of this authority, James, with all of this importance, James, with this incredible high position, calls himself a servant. Very interesting word in the Greek is called a doulos. We're going to talk about that. Let me introduce that thought of, a, of why we're going to talk about doulos by this. My 19-month-old little boy likes to bring us his favorite book, which is a pop-up book. I can't stand the book. It's the most incredibly boring book. I try to hurry up and get through it, but he loves pop-up books, and he likes to just run his fingers down the pages until he finds the edge of the flap and then lift the flap, and then we read it to him. He loves it. You know what, friends? Listen, I told you when I candidated for this, I'm not a very intelligent person. I like pop-up books, too. That's how I preach. This is the first flap that we come to, servant, doulos. Let's lift it up and see what it is. Doulos is a Greek term. It means slave, or in some cases, servant. The word refers to a position of complete obedience. Now, you must get this, because this is the crux of this sermon. Doulos refers to complete obedience, utter humility, and unshakable loyalty. Now, some were made slaves... When nations conquered nations, but a doulos was born a slave. James calls himself a doulos because when he gained new birth through faith in Christ, he became a servant in his new nature. He became a doulos in his new nature. He was born into servanthood to God, to Jesus. Now, friends, you and I, all of us, I hope, have strong and they are negative associations to the word slave. But let me tell you that American slavery 
had everything to do with race, and it made a human being subhuman, but ancient slavery did not do that. Roman slavery had little to do with race, and it was a lot more complex than American slavery. Here are four positions of a slave in Rome. Number one, the lowest slave was, were criminals and em- enemies of Rome. And they were forced to work in the mines where the life expectancy was low. So if you were an enemy of Rome and you were captured, you were made a slave and forced to work in the mines. The second class was rural slavery. So if you were a slave for a, and your master was a farmer, then you worked your master's fields. The third was the most common form of servant or slave in the New Testament, urban household slavery. It was a step up from the other two. And finally, the final type of slavery in Rome was called imperial slavery. Slaves, doulos, they, they, they would hold authority that the emperor would give them. They were of high positions. Yet the way that James uses doulos or servant or slave or bond slave is the same way that the Old Testament spoke of servants of God that you see in David and Moses and Abraham and the prophets. Now, at this point, I'm imagining that I'm losing some of you. Could be that several of you are salivating on the corner of your mouth. That's okay. Let me get you back because this is very, very important. Here it is. The way that James uses this term is this. He was a figure of authority in the service of God. He wasn't forced into service. He voluntarily gave his master his entire life. His authority was given to him by and for God, and it required humility and obedience. Listen, for James to use this term, he wasn't asking for honor. For who he was, he could have. He's the head of the biggest church known at that time, at the helm of Christianity. He wasn't asking for honor for who he was, but for who he served. Friends, let me, let me ask you this. Are you a leader? Are you a leader in your home or on your job? Maybe in our church, are you a leader? Friends, listen, leadership is a call to humility and servanthood. The higher you go, the lower must be our humility. Living with the goal of advancing those around us, of meeting their needs, there is a difference in serving someone and seeing yourself as a servant. Now, I want you to get this. There's a, a, this is so important. There's a difference in doing what we did this last weekend, getting involved in a service project, and then seeing yourself as a servant. Let me explain that. This weekend's service projects were optional, right? You signed up. Nobody made you sign up. They were optional. And this is where the difference is. Seeing yourself as a servant no longer sees serving as an option. Amen? Optional service for a servant. Now get this. Optional service. I'm telling you, many of us need to know this because we're missing it. Optional service for a servant 
creates an identity crisis. A servant's purpose is to serve. We are made into, through new birth, creatures of Christ, new birth in Christ, servants, doulos of God. For us to then say, well, you know what, we have the option of whether I want to serve God and others around us is to create within you a crisis. Friends, I do a lot of counseling. And I'm going to tell you that the number one problem that I see in counselees is that their lives have become about them and they've forgotten that the call of the gospel is external about other people. Friends, this creates discouragement. This creates discontentment, anxiety, fear. It always creates a crisis. Christ has given to you and I, if you are in faith, by faith in him, a new nature to be created like him. And his nature was to take the form of a servant. So peaceful, whole, healthy living is to live out of that nature in servanthood. Friends, I'm going to say it again. If you believe you have the option of servanthood, you have an identity crisis. And the result will always be anxiety, fear, discontentment, and discouragement. Here's James. He's a servant of God and of Jesus. And despite his authority... In the church, he considered himself a slave of Christ. Friends, this is a mark of godly leadership. How do, how do I, how do the elders, how do the deacons, how do you parents, how do you bosses at your work, how do we serve in humility? Because the higher you go, the lower must be the condition of your humility. Friends, pray for the leaders of this church. We need humility. Number two, our master became the servant. Look at James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James referred to himself as a voluntary slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this beautiful? I mean, if you want a proof text for the deity and the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he was fully God, fully man, here's your title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was God who came to this planet to live and to die for the sins of its helpless and hopeless inhabitants. God takes on flesh. And what's he do with the flesh? Hasn't anybody ever wondered, why didn't Jesus just appear on the cross? What was so important about 33 years of living? Haven't you wondered that? I've wondered that. Because he came to serve the people he was going to die for. It's what he says, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything about Jesus Christ modeled humility and servanthood. The highest went the lowest. The master became the servant. Here's James. They, if, when, the more we go through this book, you're going to understand why James is starting his letter in this way. He's writing to those who are suffering. They're going through trials. They're going through temptations. Trials are outward. Temptations are inward. They're going through all of it. They must know. Ready? Now listen, anchor this into your theology. These people who are suffering, they've got to know that they serve a God unlike the Greeks. 
The Greeks had their gods, but their gods stayed in heaven and they looked down on. They couldn't stand human beings. Rarely did a god come down to man. Most Greek stories about men going up to their gods, but not our God, not Christianity. Our God takes on flesh and lives and serves his people. So here we are. We've got God and the Lord Jesus Christ who are among the suffering the highest having descended to the lowest, and he's serving his people. Listen, suffering is terrible. But you know what's worse than suffering is suffering alone. And James is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be alone in your suffering. Why does he say the Lord Jesus Christ? There's, there's a lot of titles for Jesus. The Lord means the exalted one who is supreme in authority. He's going to one day return in glory. But friends, listen, this is radical. You know why it's radical? Because no Jew would ever call another human being Lord. Who's James writing to? You know why it's radical? Number two, because no one was allowed to have the title of Lord in Rome other than the emperor. That was capital punishment. So James says the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus? What's that name mean? It means the God who saves. The God who has come to us. Christ? Friends, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. It was a title. It was given to him by his father. It meant the anointed one who lived and died for us. It's the, the, the Jews meant it by the Messiah. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ serving his people. It's unheard of. In Philippians 2, Paul says, your attitude should be the same. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Listen, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The highest serves the lowest. Number three, servants recognize their need for their master. Where do we see this? Look what it says. James says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Friends, you probably understand the history of the Jews. You remember in 722 B.C. when Assyria came all the way down five to 600 miles from the north and they totally conquered the upper northern 10 tribes of the Jews and carted them off all over their realm and brought in other peoples. That's how you created the Samaritans. That's why above Jerusalem is the area of Samaria and the New Testament. You also know that a little over 100 years later, Babylon came down and did the same thing to the lower two tribes of Jews. And they carted them off. They scattered them all over the known world. The Jews were scattered and they settled in new lands, new cultures among new people. But not only that, look at Acts chapter 8. Remember Stephen? Remember Stephen who was stoned and he martyred, he was martyred for Christ? Look what the Bible says in chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts. It says, A great persecution broke out that day against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the, the Jews were scattered everywhere. They were all over the place. 
And they were being persecuted because they, did, they lived in a culture where it demanded you to worship many gods, but they would not do it. And they were persecuted because they wouldn't bow down to the Greek culture and become like them and lose their Jewishness. They were persecuted because they refused to worship the Caesar or the emperor. They were rejected not only from their own people, from the pagan people all around them. Friends, listen, these Christian Jews were rejected from their own people, other Jews who rejected Jesus. Now, I'm trying to give you some background of this book. Paul or James is writing to a group of people scattered and not home who are undergoing trials and temptations of incredible proportion and all the while saying that servants recognize their need for their master. The Lord Jesus Christ knows. He knows their suffering. He knows that they're alone, that they're cast out from their people. They're losing jobs. They're forfeiting social status. They're missing social opportunities. They're facing blistering temptation. You know what the temptation was? You know what? If we just assimilate into this culture, our lives are going to radically change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We face this. But God, who gives grace to the humble, was present. He was present to help them. It's wonderfully powerful that James, the servant, inserts his master's name here, Jesus Christ. Each of us, you and I have been moved by, we have. How many, how many of you have heard a sermon on servanthood before? Come on, most of us have. You know, we hear these sermons, and almost always, if there are just even a half-decent sermon and the Word of God is working in our lives, you go out of here feeling, man, he's right. I've got to learn to serve. I've got to be humble. But it's an outward form of trying to change you. But listen, let me tell you something. If change does not happen at the heart level, nothing ever lasts. Please write that down. You are not, until your hearts are transformed, any behavioral change is short-lived. The Lord Jesus, he doesn't just give commands. And this is the beautiful part. Jesus is there. Jesus is changing us. Jesus is transforming us. Jesus is taking our hardened hearts that love others to serve us. And he's molding them. He's shaping them. And he's nudging them until we desire to serve, until we want to serve, until not serving seems alien to us. This is why it's the Lord Jesus Christ and then to the 12 tribes. They're going through pain. But Jesus, the God who saves, who came to earth to serve, is in your midst and changing you. Number four, a servant heart is always concerned for others. And this is the final point. What's the last word in verse one? What is it? You know, I read that word and I was thinking, man, not much to get out of that one. Until I started looking at what that word really means. You know what this means? By the way, this is your second pop-up flap. Because I was running my fingers mentally down the pages of verse 1. And all of a sudden it snagged on this word greetings. And I began to understand that greetings is a word in Greek that means a wish for the prosperity and welfare of others. 
And I want you to get that. James is wishing, James is desiring, James is not just saying hello, James is using a word that's capturing his heart that says, I want you to prosper. I want you to do well. I've written this book to help you do that. That's what this word means. By the way, there's thousands of parchments that archaeologists have found with this word on it. But guess what? It only occurs twice in the entire New Testament. And it's here and then it's in Acts where James sends a letter with a council. James desires their joy and gladness. Friends, listen, this is external living. This is what it means when I say that a servant's heart is always concerned for others. It's a core thread that we're going to be tugging on as we go throughout this series. It's, it is living that serves God uh, by setting its sights on the well-being of others. James greets them with the expectation that this letter, living for others, this letter is going to transform them. It's going to endure them through the trials. It's going to shape them through the temptations. And it's going to create in them a redeemed community. Friends, that's it. It's greetings. I want you to thrive. It's greetings, I want your community to be redemptive. It's greetings, I want you to be salt and light. Yeah, I know the rich are exploiting you. I know you're going through all sorts of trials. I know you can't get jobs. I know you have no money. I know you're suffering with temptations and everything. I know this, but guess what? The word of God is the power to change life. Greetings, I want you to live Friends, man, is that the way we greet one another? Is that the way we say hello? Is that the way that we encounter one another? We have a well-being. We have a desire for their well-being welling up in us. It's a desire that says, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And then we actually do. It's when we say, you know what, I hope this works out, and we pray them through the trial. That's what greetings means. It means to be part of what will bring you your prosperity. Not that, hey, I hope God blesses you while I don't do anything about it. It's that I am going to live as a servant in a way externally that's going to bring about your prosperity. You want to know what uh, the historian Eusebius wrote about James? I love this. Here it is. He used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for the forgiveness of his people so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God. So from his excessive righteousness, James was called. This was his title, James the Just. Because James knew that to be long in the presence of God through prayer makes us long for the blessings of God for others. Here's the unspoken question as I close. You ready? Is what we're going to try to answer through this series. Now listen, personalize this. And then I'm going to finish. To what degree... To what degree will you and I be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and those around us? Let me close with this. We were at Salvation Army. A crew of our people were there cleaning yesterday. 
And the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, he was interviewed near the close of his life. Friends, listen to what, was, what he said. And I quote, I love this. This is what I want. God had all there was of me. There have been others who had greater plans, greater opportunities than I, but from the day I got a vision of what God could do, I made up my mind God would have all there was of William Booth. Friends, do you want that? Do you want God to have all there is in you? Let me tell you, you want humility? The mark and the evidence of humility is how well you serve. Leaders need a servant's heart. Our master became a servant for us and modeled that. We need him to transform our hearts to become servants. And finally, what we talked about was a servant heart is always concerned for others. Man, James 1.1 is awesome. It's a lot in there. Would you pray with me? We're going to ask the Lord to change our hearts. We're going to ask the Lord to redeem us and to make us into a people that serve. Would you stand with me? We're going to stand in the presence of the Lord together. And I'm going to open it up just for a minute or two for a few of you to pray and ask for the Lord to work in our midst for this reason, for this purpose. And after a couple minutes, I'm going to close. So I'm going to ask, be brave and call out and ask the Lord to change us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And let's pray that together. Somebody start, and I'll close in a couple minutes. Thank you. 
so strong. And you gain this power like sparks in a fire. Just constantly growing. All by your will, Lord. Mm -hmm. Lord, that's a prayer. Lord, take these prayers. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would change us, not for our reputation, but for yours. Lord, I pray that we would love to serve. Start with me, start with our elders, start with our deacons. Lord, may we set the bar high as we go low in humility. Lord, I pray for that. We thank you that you transform us by the power of your word. Verse 1 of James is powerful. We thank you for it. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us and to, for giving your life as a ransom for many. Pray that we would go and that you would bless your people. Give them a week of awareness and desire for humility, Father, and servanthood. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.